In college, I took a class entitled Religion and Genocide. I thought that it would be mostly about the Holocaust. And though we covered it, I also learned of the Armenian genocide, the cultural genocide of the Aboriginal people in Australia, and far more. My professor, my professor was a rabbi named Stephen Jacobs. There were only 12 of us in the class, and all of us were Christian. On the first day of the semester, we were in our little seminar room, just 12 of us. And Professor Jacobs asked us, how many of you think that I am going to hell because I am Jewish? And I tensed up at the question, and he said, no, I want you to raise your hands. Raise your hand if you think that I'm going to hell because I'm Jewish. Half of my class raised their hands. And then he asked them, well, then what's stopping you from carrying out God's justice for me? if I am already to be damned. This moment changed my life. I was horrified that six of my classmates would believe and then tell our distinguished, faithful professor that he was going to spend eternity burning in hell because he wasn't a Christian. His point was clear, though. People who are so convinced that their religion matters more than people will do many things, including avenging for God. In the class, we went on to learn about the silence of many churches, notably the Roman Catholic Church during the Holocaust. We learned how Christians have used our faith to justify bombs and swords and crusades. And because they were Christian, they believed themselves to be justified in doing so. We studied specific examples of how religious texts are manipulated by extremists of nearly all religions to make very logical and sound arguments for the violence they are carrying out. When we begin to use our religious texts as absolutes and focus more on law and religion, more than loving people, not only do we get it wrong, but we also get further away from the object of our religion and adoration, who is God. It is by loving others that we show that we love God. Genocide may be the largest scale of how we don't do this, but in micro ways we do it all the time. We prefer to follow our religious codes and rubrics in the name of faith or theology rather than welcoming all of our neighbors to our table. 
Jesus was aware of how the religious zealots in his day prioritized religion over God and people at times. We have numerous examples of people criticizing Jesus for the things he said, with whom he ate, who he talked to, and even the worthiness of some of his miracles. In the current gospel discourse that we have today, Jesus faces questions about how to uphold God's law. Many times when people ask Jesus questions, they're setting him up to get it wrong so we can say, we told you so, we gotcha. And today, Jesus doubles down when he is asked, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus responds with the words of the Shema, the most important guiding principle in the Jewish faith. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. It's from Deuteronomy. And then Jesus adds on another one. There are many commandments in the Torah, but Jesus picks one more to lift up and say it's the second greatest commandment. And this one is from Leviticus. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. By lifting up this commandment to being second, Jesus shows us just how necessary loving others is to fulfill God's will. And it's almost as if Jesus can hear the follow-up question ringing, but who is my neighbor? Because then Jesus goes on to say that the Messiah is not just a descendant of David, but the Messiah supersedes David. And this clever move, Jesus shows his distinct Jewishness and very real command of the Jewish law, but also that God is not planning to just fulfill the expectations of this group questioning him. Our neighbors and who is worthy of God's love is greater than any set we could form on earth. We are living in a moment when the rift of religious ideologies at the harm of sacrificing neighbor are wildly in focus. The situation in the Middle East is dire. The attacks Hamas committed in Israel were atrocious. And now the violence Israel is carrying out in Gaza is horrific. In the past few weeks, two weeks, over 5,000 people, many civilians have died in Israel and Gaza. Early this morning, a new phase of bombing in Gaza commenced with Prime Minister Netanyahu saying, the war inside Gaza is going to be long. As Christians in America, how do we respond? How do we follow Jesus and love our neighbors in a moment like this? First, we need to remember that love is not a passive or sentimental feeling. 
Love is action. And it's something that we do, that we not only just profess it in our hearts, but the way we live our lives shows our love. Second, we acknowledge that Israelis are our neighbors. We acknowledge that Palestinians are our neighbors. All of those living in Gaza are our neighbors. We claim as Christians that whether someone is Christian or Muslim or Jewish or atheist, that person is our neighbor and we care about our neighbors. Third, we get brave. We speak up in the face of violence and we call for an end to violence. We call for peace and pray that we can be the peacemakers, the ones who Jesus calls blessed and children of God. Our love and action might also include donations to rescue operations and medical clinics. It could be calling your federal legislators and expressing how you would like U.S. resources to be spent. And finally, love means praying for all the people in the Middle East and remembering that every single person in Israel and Gaza belongs to you because they belong to God. We cannot prioritize anything else over that. Not nation, not religion, not money, not land. We cannot prioritize anything else because this is what Jesus commanded us to do but to love God and love our neighbor. Amen.